This is a strategist episode 1008. My name is Zane Velji. With me as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. Guys, how are you? How are you doing? How is one of us in particular doing? Uh, Corey, how are you? I'm I'm well. Yeah. It was a good night. I got to watch uh, election results from BC, um, which I had no stake in. So I felt pretty calm about the whole affair. How are you? Did you see the BC election results? I, I didn't. Uh, I also didn't have a stake. So I had my phone in a yonder pouch while I was watching John Mulaney talk about being back from rehab. <laughs> um, and wh- I don't know why I went to go see John Mulaney. Uh, he looks and sounds exactly like you, Corey. Um, yeah. Carter, did you have <laughs> any stake whatsoever in the BC uh, elections or anything going on in that province? Nope. Excellent. Yeah, that's, that is that is what I thought. Uh, Carter, uh, you uh, you were on a campaign in, in Surrey. Yeah. Um, interesting race in Surrey. I just was very fascinated to to, to watch it. Um, give us give us the, the the take. What what happened? How did it transpire? Uh, and did the candidate that had the bus ultimately win? Uh, and okay. is that the 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 tell all for next time? Yeah, the candidate that did the most Burma shaves and had their own bus did win. So um, <laughs> politics is upside down. Everything is wrong. Uh, yeah, I think that um, I think that overall it was an interesting campaign. I think that from my point of view, it reinforces that yep. there's four types of campaigns. Uh, there's the campaign that you should win, but you lose. The campaign that you should lose, but you win. The campaign that you're going to win almost no matter what you do and the campaign you're going to lose for sure. And uh, I think with hindsight, uh, I fit into the last category. We were going to lose for sure. Um, The uh, South Asian population jumped in behind Doug McCallum in a big way, which was really unexpected. The guy was pulling at like nothing for most Mm. of the race. And, uh, And this was the incumbent, just so I'm clear, right? Yeah. So the three yeah. people that that came uh, that came one, two, and three were all Caucasian, and uh, the guy who came in third, like honest to God, like no word of a lie, you could not find his campaign anywhere except he did hire an airplane to pull a banner that Gordy Hogue for mayor, and that appears to have done it. That appears to have been that, and his name is Gordy Hogue. Um, seems to have been enough for him to come in third. The two Airplanes, South Asian shapes. candidates came in uh, quite poorly. Can, can, Carter, can I ask you, hindsight, you place yourself in that fourth category. Mm-hmm. Do you mind me asking you where you thought you were prior to that? Which one of the four candidate models did you think you were prior to, to the results becoming so clear and hindsight, of course, being 2020? Did you think you were the should win or, or which yeah i'll let you kind of answer that I, I thought we were in the we could win category um you know that we could lose we could win um i did not go into it with 100 percent confidence that we were going to win and the reason mm. for that was there was two sets of data um and the two sets of data were um polling data which showed us very clearly in uh in third place fourth place um our internal polls, we were able to get up to second place, but it was a, it was a tough, it was tough for us. And uh, then there was this feedback on the ground, and I think you guys know feedback on the ground data is actually usually called um, lies. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were we were getting tremendous feedback from the ground. Um, unions were making calls. Uh, the South Asian population, we had, I bet you, we had. 
150 callers on Saturday making phone calls within the South Asian population. It was a big, big operation. And it would appear that we got Doug McCallum's vote out like top notch. They all mm. went out and then voted for, for Doug. They did not vote for us. Um, we could see that the union vote was about 4,000 people. We were hoping for 15. Um, South Asian, we were hoping for 15 to 20. And we wound up, I think, getting about six. There's still a lot more analysis to do on, on everything. Um, but ultimately, this, this fits into the fourth category. I, I never thought we were going to win it going away. Um, but I definitely thought we were going to be closer. Well, it's it's going to be an interesting one. I'll be keen to hear, and maybe you'll share on this show, what, what some of that debrief looks like. Because it is true that defeat can be a better teacher than victory. Um, because it would be if fun to, victory, you can say everything was good. It would be fun to do the same episode that we did after the uh, the Calgary election. You know, mm, where we kind yeah. of debriefed it all. Now, we didn't, we didn't stay as up to date on this one. I didn't do that that you know here's what's going on in the in the campaign with you guys that we did in the in Calgary but uh I think I can still be as honest as I was on that one right and this there were th- there were there were turning points in the campaign where we knew that this was going to cause problems the biggest one was when will the candidate announce um I thought she should have been in no later than April um I would have preferred March but she came in in mid June uh with the assurance that no one goes on vacation in Surrey and people pay attention to politics over the summer. Um, both of those things, uh, if you're keeping track at home, incorrect. Uh, so um, we just never had traction because we campaigned when people didn't give a shit. And uh, we gave away the time that they did to uh, the one the woman who wound up winning. That's just one thing. And, I, and I'll probably be able to bring uh, five or six other things that that we made decisions to do that that uh, didn't really pan out. You know what? I'm going to actually use this as a jumping off point to our first segment. Our first segment: Why did it go so wrong, Carter? I'm not talking about your candidate, <laughs> oh but my, I, I do oh want. God, <laughs> I, I said a future yeah, episode. Yeah, what are you doing to me here? Killing I'm me. I'm giving it official. I'm giving. I'm giving an official oh. title too. By the way, I didn't even mention the candidate. Just so if people want to look up the the results, Ginny Sims, right, finished fourth yeah, in that race forward. for Surrey. Yep. Very forward. I want to talk about the party banner. We'll talk about that later. But this is actually really interesting that 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 this is the the, the conversation off the top, and it's not about uh, football or Flair Airlines or, or AFL. Um, but I do want to talk about a different campaign debrief. The NDP, okay. the federal NDP, have issued their campaign debrief. They put it out quietly on the party's website. Uh, earlier this year much C- earlier this year yeah. yeah yeah much earlier this year and cbc reporting about it uh, i believe this weekend over the course of this weekend which i think opens up a, a, a pathway for us to to dovetail on carter's commentary here to talk about campaign debriefs their uh effectiveness their usefulness their purpose um you know when they're best done uh, but before i jump into that i'm actually going to stick with carter for a second Corey, if that's okay with you carter you know you are giving us some really raw reflections here, and I can't help but notice that this, it, it, I shouldn't say in contrast, but that the document produced by the NDP was a very methodical process. They kind of have an interview list of where they went, how they went. Yeah. You know, they probably took some time over the course of the summer, uh, over the course of the year, one would imagine, to kind of interview these people. Give me your philosophy on how you're going to do the campaign debrief for your candidate and for your campaign in Surrey. Are you going to do an extremely methodical or are you going to be like the, you know, perhaps are you a subscriber to the viewpoint 
that the best insights are gleaned immediately. Uh, and let's document those right away in terms of Corey's point. What's going to be the teacher? The longitudinal methodological deep dive or like put it all out on paper right now? Who cares if it's exactly perfect because that's the real teacher? I'm kind of curious from from your perspective now that you're living kind of the moment that I, I want to examine it in, in greater detail with the NDP. I think that everything with time becomes worse uh, because you start mm. to you start to create the legend of the campaign or the legend of the mistakes that were made versus the truth of the of the the mistakes that were made. It's super duper hard, especially after a loss, to look internally and say, okay, what decision? Where were the decision points, and what decisions did we make? And you'll have to kind of go back and actually read through your notes and make sure you understand it. But you can't wait a long time. You know, this for me, I'm flying home tomorrow. I'll have I'll have my notes of what we did wrong by the end of that flight because I'm going to go back through my notebook and make sure that we that I understand where we made the big decisions. I already mentioned one, right? The big decision of when we launched. That's actually a conversation point in this NDP document. When should we launch, right? Do we launch before? Are we running a year-round campaign? Mm-hmm, Are we running mm-hmm. a continuous campaign? I mean, can we, to be completely frank, that discussion about are we running a continuous campaign is about eight to 10 years old in Canadian politics. Well, at least. At least, at least yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and the NDP have suddenly found to it, you know, found it. Um, they've, you know, they, I, I think that they, they took too long. They took too many outside opinions when they, they probably knew the answers themselves. Um, and then I think that they fell into the trap of making sure that they appeared politically correct rather than trying to be politically successful. You know, I'm going to get into the NDP. Corey, bear with me for one second, because I don't want to follow up on one thing. And I'll ask both of you about this, because let's get nerdy for a second. And I frankly think we can, because, I mean, we're not like other Canadian political podcasts. We we do deep dive on the, on the campaign side of it. Carter, you mentioned notes. Can I ask you, do you journal during a campaign? Like, do you document key moments? Do you like write down key reflections, either on your phone, on paper? Do you kind of, because the entire thing can be such a blur. And even looking back on it in terms of just the, uh, you know, in in my case where I've worked on campaigns where I'm actually pushing out either products for advertising, you just produce so much, you kind of forget about it. So even to look back on what you've done or the decisions that you made, do you kind of in the moment in the campaign uh, make note of that for for kind of professional development, if I can call it as such? I, I don't do it that way. I do make sure that I am, I, I do write out a lot of the decision factors. Um, so I will... I will spend time writing out what I, um, you know, what are the options that I'm looking at and try and figure out which option is the best. Um, so especially when it comes to money, and I would argue that almost everything comes to money. Um, so I will be putting down, okay, what what are we spending on these things? How much is it going to cost me? Is this, you know, what are the other options that we have available to us? And that kind of you know, decision tree or decision option making is written down for me to go back then and review. It's not really a journal. Uh, I don't kind of go, okay, you mm-hmm. know, this is how I'm feeling at this particular moment. Um, I do, ha- I mean, and, I, and then because of that, I probably have these rose-colored glasses or certainly um, some sort of a bias about how I'm feeling at any particular time. But uh, I also have a tremendous amount of experience to make sure that I, uh you know, I make sure that I'm actually in this, you know, like, because, yeah. the, you know, Corey's mentioned the losses are where you learn things, right? Like, um, man, I, I don't, I mean, I think I learned a lot on, on Gondek's campaign too, because 
I make sure to learn something from the campaigns, right? There's yeah. better people than me on most campaigns. And you have to, we, I found Crystal, the graphic designer who helped me in, in both uh, the Gondek campaign and the uh, uh, Surrey Forward campaign. You know, having professional looking design, I worked with another guy, Joel Grenz, uh, here in the Surrey Forward campaign. He did all our video work. You know, working with these people that are spectacular at their job. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, it costs a little bit more money, but making you know, I used two, I used professionals for video this time and lost, and I really felt like that was the right decision. And I still think it's the right decision, even though I lost. So, going back and looking at these things is is still kind of a trick. Yeah, you know, Carter mentions a couple of things that are interesting, and I'll, and I'll bring them up in conversation later, especially around the relationships and the people that you get from the campaign, win or lose. Like the, you can really run a campaign, Corey, in a sense of it could be for the binary outcome of win or lose, or it could be for maybe creating an ecosystem of people that you get to work with again or see again, or maybe give them a, you know, the spark of what a campaign could look like and they go on doing their own thing. But I'll, I'll pose the same question to you around documentation. Um, campaigns can can be a blur, um, especially when you have so much to do, so many competing demands. And I think there's also, and maybe I'm getting too romantic here, but you don't know how long you get to play in the in the big league, so to speak, right? And so there's some elements of of kind of writing it down, documenting it, uh, and perhaps noting how special some of these campaigns and moments are. Corey, what have you done in the past in terms of uh, documenting campaigns and, and, and whether it be for personal reflection or, or professional development. Yeah. So on that last category, <clears throat> I don't do anything. I mean, it, mm. it's actually terrible. You would never know I ever worked in politics, ever worked in government. I have no pictures of my time there. I'm not mm. remotely sentimental about that particular stuff. You know, I know people who have you know, walls of swag and you know different tchotchkes they've had from those jobs. Sure. I'm not that guy. I've got like two things, both because they were handed to me framed already. And I thought, okay, I guess I'll put them on the wall. Um, But I do try to document uh, after a campaign like Steven for a lot of the same reasons. Um, The first is you, you lose your feeling after the moment, like you can recreate a lot of things, but you can't recreate what you're feeling and what people are saying that day. And the campaign Mm. myth does come on pretty strong, but in terms of actual documumentation, actual notes throughout it, it's really tough to do. It's tough to do. It's, for, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. For a few reasons. And and maybe I'll get to the campaign itself. I'll start by saying I usually have pretty good documentation pre-campaign. Uh, mm. you know, I tend to work more provincial and federal campaigns. So you've got the campaign period, 28 days, 35 days. And the reason I have better documentation actually has very little to do with my habits during the time and much more to do with the cadence of campaigns at that moment. Yes. So much more of the conversation occurs over email, occurs over text message, occurs through mechanisms that you can actually scroll back through and say, oh yeah, I wrote this strategy document. And then I got an email response about it. And then we talked about it in this way. When you get to the actual campaign and all cylinders are firing, so many of the decisions are made in kind of ephemeral media, right? It's it's like a meeting. You get together and you say, what are we going to do today? How are we going to react to this? And you have this 30-minute conversation and then you're on to the next thing and you move and, on. And, the, and often that thing you've talked about in the morning needs to be produced in the afternoon, not three weeks from now, perhaps in the as it was in the pre-campaign phase. Well, of, of, absolutely. Of and all, all of us, I don't just mean the three of us, but I mean human beings, we can be kind of guilty when we finish something, we really like it, work, 
kind of being like, oh, it was a great document and like yeah, reading yeah. it three additional times for absolutely no reason after it's been submitted or it's been applied or something and just, you know, sure. almost fetishizing our own work. No time for that in a campaign. <laughs> so absolutely no ability to kind of sit and reflect upon what you've actually done and, and what you've learned from it. And, um, and very little email. And that's not because yeah. things are off books. It's because the decisions are being made at the moment in the room. The person who's producing the thing is right next to you as you've discussed making it, perhaps if you're the campaign manager, uh, right there. So there's just not the same paper trail during a campaign, which I think really it speaks to Stephen's point about doing what he's doing, which is writing it on the campaign, um, you know, on the flight home. I was about to call it the campaign flight home, but... I'm guessing there's not a campaign plane no, for no, uh, Surrey Forward. No, no, yeah. No. Yeah. And so that, but I'll bet you anything too, Stephen, if it's two weeks old or older, it's already falling into campaign myth. Like there's such a mm. recency bias. These oh, things yeah. are so heavy uh, in the moment. So um, yeah, documentation is uh, is difficult in the moment. Also for the final reason, there's just not time. Right. Like even if you wanted to do it during a campaign, there's just not time. You can't get those hours back during a campaign. Corey, can I ask you this? Do you wish you were more sentimental about the campaigns? Do you wish you'd kind of said, you know, even though this doesn't lend itself towards documentation, even though this doesn't lend itself towards me writing it down, that I wish and whether it be, you know, artifacts or whether it be memories or things you've documented, do you wish you were more sentimental about this stuff? No, I don't give a shit. I mean, ah. I am I'm like the mother of all perjurers. I'll just I'll throw out that cherished childhood memory like that if I have I don't know if you're being sarcastic. Are, are no, you I'm actually serious. being you're being yeah. serious here? Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. And you uh, this is just I like do, an extension of your personality, like it's who you an are. extension of my yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but okay. I do wish often that I had better track records of my time in government, my time on campaigns uh. in terms of like the actual work that was produced and like, did that happen before that happened? And just, just because I think that would inform the way I think about things going forward. But you know, it's, it's not because I want to have like memories for my grandchildren. It's because sometimes you're sitting here and you're having a conversation about government transition and you say, I did that, but I barely remember it. And, you know, I, I wish I had mm. better notes of it. Yeah. Carter, are you a bit more sentimental than Corey? Like, it seems like you are about the this stuff. And I think I would probably be amongst the three of us Maybe the most sentimental. I mean, as witnessed by the lawn signs behind me of the camera, yeah, I was going to say had an opportunity to work on. <laughs> but it's, and it's not like it's for no other reason. It's not like to be like established credibility or not. But like when even when I glance at them, they're like those were tough periods of time working on those campaigns. But and some were wins, some were losses. Like and but good memory. So I'm kind of curious, Carter, where you'd kind of put peg yourself on the sentimentality or the romance of these things. I don't, I'm not taking home any of the collateral. I'm not yeah, taking home anything. I have, you know, I think that we have a couple of t-shirts, but Maddie's got those. I, I just don't, I don't grab anything. First of all, I don't wear anything during a campaign. Um, so I'm mm. not the campaign. You never manager. wear any of the campaign merch. No, never. Yeah. Um, for school. Hate that. No, I mean, it, it is just, it's just not who, what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Um, my job is not to be moving the voters individually because of my presence it's just not going to work um so i just i take i build good stuff but um i you know we take the digital files and that's it i haven't even got to the ndp yet but i'm finding this quite fascinating (laughs) uh and and you guys can tell me to fuck off if if you think this is a weird line of questioning but i'm gonna do it anyways carter do you feel like that could be mistaken for lack of emotional investment in the outcome or the campaign 
the very sort of like I'm not saying you're 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 promoting like a very sanitary or antiseptic sort of like straight down the middle professional approach, but do you need emotional investment in these things in order for them to be successful in, in your experience? I don't know. I think that I, I mean that's a really interesting question, Zane. Um I don't think I can have that level of emotional investment. I think you have to be really detached. Otherwise you find yourself chasing these dreams, right? Like there has to be someone who in the campaign who says, no, that's ridiculous. We're not going to do that. Um, right. You know, and, and yeah, I don't want to be caught up in, you know, this is, this is how I feel. This is what I'm thinking. You know, I'm so right. excited right, right, about right. what we're going to be doing tomorrow. I mean, I, I, I think I portray <laughs> a fairly decent level of excitement um, right. to the, to the team. I think that when people are involved in a, in a, campaign that I'm running, they feel like I've, I've really thought things through, but I don't think that they feel like, oh, this is the, you know, Carter's emotionally, really emotionally invested in this. I, I Like this is a passion project sort of thing. You don't, you don't give that sort of vibe off, if that's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mm. I'm invested, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lose sleep when we lose, to be honest. I mean, you think that's, that's ever cost you? Do you think that's ever like that, 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 or do you think that's actually saved you from, from, from more downstream negative impacts? There needs to be someone who says this isn't working. There needs right. to be someone who says, you know, just because this is the way you always do it does not mean that this is the right way that things get done. Right? Corey, any I, comments I, on I this and I'll jump to the NDP. I think it's more than that. I think when you do it professionally, like you do, Stephen, um, it's also, you can't ride that roller coaster for decades. That's true. You, at a That's certain a point. point, you need to um, you need to be able to detach yourself professionally from kind of the personal emotions you may feel. And yeah, there's no high like winning on election night, even oh, yeah. even if you're trying to be detached, no question about it. But but you you can't you can't live and die these things. Uh, you can't put your whole soul into everything you do for thirty years. That's just that's um, you know that's just such a one dimensional approach to life. You've you got to take a broader view of it. I mean, everybody went on a Burma shave, you know, on, on Friday night and people loved it. You know, horns mm-hmm, mm-hmm. were being honked, fingers were being given, thumbs up were giving, being done. Um, I fucking hated it. Like it, it just was, <laughs> you know, I'm not. Why? You know, why, why, why yeah. though? This is interesting because you were over it. Like you, you'd seen it one too many times or can I, and, and this might be neither of these two, or was it like, um, this is going to sound rude. So, so, but was it just like, this isn't my candidate. Like I'm not like, it was your candidate, but you weren't so overly like, this is not like a calling or a cause, this particular campaign. This is going to require that... an emotional investment greater than mm. the emotional investment that I am prepared to make. Interesting. Well, I think it's a little different too. Like, I think that there's, for some people who aren't on campaigns perpetually, there's a thrill to door knocking. There's a thrill to Burma shaves. There's Great the point. excitement yep. and the adrenaline. That well, it's who they get those. to do it with many, many yeah. times, Corey, right? Like the pe- people they get to meet along the way. Absolutely. On your 100th Burma shave, how could you possibly give a shit? I think that's part of it, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know how useless they are. You know that everybody who's honking isn't going to vote for you. You know that everybody who's giving you the finger is actually not voting for you. Um, <laughs> and and you, reach, you reach this point of, okay, well, what are we actually trying to do here? What are we trying to achieve? And, you know, my job, I always view my job as, as strategy, not tactics. And when I'm drawn into tactical execution, it is generally meaning that there is a problem in the campaign because we do not have the tacticians from the volunteers or the other, you know, contractors that we require. But yeah, listen, you know, 
I remember the first campaigns I ever worked on, that adrenaline surge of meeting, like even just riding presidents and mm-hmm. you know, oh, burning yeah. brass in like a local sense and this sense of, uh, you know, positions now that I, I don't know, they feel almost dime a dozen. And that's not fair because these are dedicated volunteers who are building things to try to make yeah. the community better. But absolutely, there's, um, you know, there's a curve that you go on in these things as well. Mm-hmm. Be sure. Yeah, okay, so here's what we've concluded. You guys are cold-hearted, uh, and I'm overly <laughs> earnest. We'll move it on uh, to actually talk about what's at what, hand. What a, what a shocking discovery! What a, what a yeah. shock! After I know, each I know. other for ten what, years. Yeah. Well, yeah. What a what a shock! If you ever want, if you want anyone to be overzealous about anything, just throw it over to me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, back back to our ancient K days. Um. Okay. Let's talk about this NDP document. So, Corey, I, I mentioned this earlier for for folks who were listening about 20 minutes ago when I introduced this topic. Uh, the NDP <laughs> put out their 2021 campaign debrief. They silently put it up online later uh, earlier this year, I should say. Uh, it was reported on this week by the CBC. Um, this report, a 20-page PDF, breaks down the campaign uh, on uh, many different fronts, including uh, operations, uh, products, which is what I guess they call uh, the, the materials produced, uh, digital, uh, media. I'm just going through a few other ones here that they have what we heard summary of the debrief process. So they actually talked about the process itself. Corey, let's talk top line. These sort of documents that come out months later, I was just talking to Carter about this, you know, in, in the sense of uh, the the discerning yeah. between real insight versus mythology. What do you kind of see here in terms of the process that they followed? Would this lend more towards mythology or, or true insight in your, in your mind? Uh- well, I think mythology, but I, I think it's more complicated than that because yeah, ultimately I don't believe that these kinds of debrief reports, particularly ones when the leader is maintained between elections, yeah, I don't actually believe they're true debriefs. They're they're like an internal management tool that's designed to make sure that everybody feels that they got heard. And, and listen, can I I'm gonna illustrate this. This is from yeah, the yeah. report. Okay. Sure. These are the people they talk to. Central campaign team including department exit reports and debriefs with department heads. EDA, that's Electoral District Association Outreach, 182 survey submissions from the Electoral District Associations, nine regional roundtables, 26 candidate interviews. Caucus outreach, one listening session with NDP caucus, four individual meetings with caucus members. Governing body debrief activities, eight debrief sessions, other debrief activities, two with external organizations, three with vendors. What's fucking missing? How about voters? If you want to understand why people are or are not voting for you, why don't you talk to voters and not just the voters that voted for you, but the voters that didn't? And and if you ever needed kind of evidence that these reports have a purpose other than their stated report, I I think that the list of people they talked to is a pretty strong indicator. Right. That's like they were they were effectively trying to draw us to a conclusion. Carter, do you do you believe the same here with, with something like this? I'll ask the same question I asked Corey. Um, mythology or actual insight that based on this DB process that you see? Uh, mythology, to be sure. Um, this mm. this you know, you're not actually interested in the outcome of the discussions. You're interested in the process to get there. Uh, which is fine too. I I mean I I, I think Corey would agree that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, Still you know, serves a purpose. Yeah. You know, the, the purpose is just not the stated purpose. Um, and, and the stated purpose for this document is, is to make their elections better. When some of the conclusions are, you know, I mean, one of them is we should test our creative before. Really? Okay. I mean, like this, how are you not, um, yeah. you know, trying to, <laughs> you know, like, we shouldn't taste, you know, test our creative. Like, what decade are you in? 
Um, oh, yeah. Like the, the superficiality of all of this, you know, there was one page of recommendations that would, you know, could be summarized as hire more, communicate more, train more, fund more, start earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. More, more, more. Okay. Okay. Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do less of? You know, because this is a zero sum world. You only have so many dollars. You yeah. only have so many hours. And there's no sense of we've got to prioritize these things a little bit differently. It's it's like well, the leaders, do each part of your job better is the, the summary of this report. The leaders you know tour what, is great. Hang on a second, Zane. I'm not going to give this up. The leaders yeah. tour, more leaders tour. Okay. Are you making more leaders? Like, how are you going <laughs> to? Well, if you're the Green Party. If you're the Green Party, you could have some co-leaders, Carter. They may have already solved for that. How are you going to physically do it? Because there's one guy and he's going to be, and he's exhausted at the end, no matter what. Um, So how is it that you, that you have this more leader tour? I mean, I guess you can start it earlier, but again, you're, you're now you're exhausting him earlier. Um, It's, it's quite a, it's quite a document. There is no trade-offs. There are no, uh, there's no expected outcome from the changes either. We're going to change these things, but there's no expected outcome from why when we make these actual changes. Corey, would you have preferred, let's say, let's say the NDP said we want to engage in a debrief process. And what did you call this? You said this is not a debrief. This is an internal management tool. It's, yeah, I, it's I, an internal okay. management tool. I'll get back to that in a second um, in terms of what a value for, of that could be like. Because Carter and, and you are both right. It serves a purpose. We'll get to that purpose. If you wanted a true debrief, Corey. You know, you mentioned voters, but I, I'd even go um, earlier in the process. Would you have just had one person you trust within the party to say, you know what? You observed this campaign. You either lived it. You observed it. We value your insight. It could be you, Corey. It could be you, Carter. Can you guys write the 20 pages for us around what we need to do? And we can debate that, but it'll actually have some opinion rather than uh, converging towards I would hate to say platitudes, but platitudes as as recommendations. And this is not about this particular NDP report. This is about, you know, how these things are done in, in general. Would you be open yeah. to that, Corey? Do you think like a single author is where we need to go with some of these things? Well, it's an interesting idea. It's not one I had thought of. My instant reaction when you started was no, because no one single person sees yeah. enough of a campaign. And, and so you do need to have other people. But the idea of having... Not just an author, because in a way, an author is like aggregate all of these into a you know consistent document, but like, right, um, right, like an opinion and a voice that says this is what I believe you should have done. Yes, maybe like maybe somebody needs to sit there and say, okay, I've got to sift through this and almost like a judge determine what I thought worked well and what I thought didn't work well, and having yeah, some yeah, some yeah. critical judgments. And you know, often when I do this in my own job, when I'm writing like a report with a strategy or or whatnot, I will write it like a, like kind of like a, a judicial opinion where it's section one numbered. These are the facts, right? Number two, this is my analysis that's layered on top of it. And then the third section is, and so I've come to these conclusions. And then when you talk with somebody, you say, okay, do you think my facts are wrong? Do you think my analysis is wrong? Or do you think something's missing? Uh, mm-hmm. Because otherwise what conclusions, or, or, you know, I suppose the logic train as well. Um, and so maybe if campaigns took a bit more of that approach and actually tried to show some of these through lines more aggressively, it would be a little bit more of a document. But stepping back, I think you are never going to have a sincere, uh, here's what we heard document, uh, you know, campaign debrief document, if it's a public document. And, you know, <laughs> Stephen is is a big fan of open sourcing strategy. That's fine, but he doesn't open source all of the messy conversations he had to get to that strategy. And that's essentially what a campaign debrief document is trying to do. 
like think about the constraints on this NDP one. And yeah, we're using this to illustrate because in my experience, this is every debrief document, yes, right? Yes, they're very, they're very, um, you could guess the conclusions. Uh, yeah. or, or if you were presented with them, they would all kind of make sense uh, as, as general right. sort of. Other thing is these conclusions would work almost all of them for any party, right? But you can't be too critical of the leader. You can't say the EDAs uh, had a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, terrible, incompetent presidents. You can't say, uh, you know, the candidates were absolute shit in Alberta, You, I, which was not, I'm not, this is not specific. This is general, yeah. right? Yeah, and, yeah. And you just can't be honest. I, I mean, I pulled this quote up while you were talking. It was from here and it was mentioned in the CBC article. That, this is a longer version. This is just attributed to generic central campaign staffer. It's like someone is drowning. Jagmeet is very caring and genuinely understands what the person is going through. He then tells the mother leaders cannot help, but he didn't throw them a buoy, a rope that gives them the hope of getting out there, something concrete to hold on to, something clear and real that will change things for Canadians' day-to-day -day life. So rather than just saying in like one sentence, our policy didn't actually speak to people, uh, people they didn't speak to in this debrief. Again, I'll remind mm -hmm, you, right? Mm -hmm. They instead spend half the time talking about what a caring and lovely person this is because any criticism has to be padded, right? Like you've got to compliment sandwich yeah, yeah. the leader as you're saying the things the leader does well or doesn't do well. They did this time and again. Same with the, there was the also TikTok. a section about, yeah. I was going to say, social media was such a source of strength. Also may have been terrible and undercut him entirely, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, may have made, made, made him look less professional and yeah, less like a, a prime minister, lane. more like an influencer. Pick yeah, a fucking yeah. lane. Well, this, so, is, this is, that's that's a great point. Pick a fucking lane. And, and, and Carter, I hate to cut you off there, but Carter, I want to get you in on this too. Like, would the ideal here have been, you're going to sit on a plane and write a reflections document. Would the ideal here have been to say, fuck it, let have one person mold this with some opinion so that we actually have usable insights rather than uh, a list of nine recommendations that say do everything more and better. No, it doesn't need to be one person. I mean, I think that you're skipping okay. over, you're skipping to this this end game that says it needs to be constructed, you know, as one person. Actually, okay. what it needs to be constructed as is a um, an honest uh, private document that does an evaluation of the campaign leadership. Um, you know, uh, and and their strengths. And so, weaknesses. so then let me let me ask you, Carter. Do you think there's a private version of this document sitting somewhere that's more blunt, that's more, let's just use the term, insightful, that's more instructive for future campaigns? This is I the don't... NDP. There's no fucking. Way. Yes, I'm, I'm. Let's just use let's just use what we're talking about as the example with the NDP document no. that's public. Do you feel I don't like think a private... it's just it's not just the NDP. You can't have the public debrief and the private debrief that says something entirely different. That would destroy a party if that got out. And by the way, it would get out. You know, that's the reality. In so. Best case scenario, there's been a group of people who sat down with the leader and the campaign manager and said, this is, you know, this is what we need to do next time. And it's a, yeah. it's a verbal meeting. Um, but I, th I would argue that there is often not enough done to evaluate the performance of the team that did it before. Um, you know, and, and I can pick on Rachel Notley for this. Rachel Notley will be entering the next, the next election with basically the same team that ran her uh failed election in the last in the last election uh, no, disres Zane, who... no no disrespect <laughs> I mean, Zane. uh i mean a little <laughs> bit intended obviously um but there's you know that that weakness that existed Easy, last he comes time. off a loss and he's just swinging eh, zane 
That's fine. That's fine. This card. This is Carter. This is Carter. You know, some you guys people came after me. Uh, I had no choice. I had to. I had to he says that. he doesn't get emotionally invested in the campaines. Uh, you and can see he gets emotional are, afterwards, which is different. But it's, it's really fine. Upsetting. It's cousins of it. That's fine. Right, keep going, Carter. You're, you're making. So you're making an example of 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 of, of reflecting on the campaign. Like, would yeah. you, for example, would you want some? Would you want someone to reflect on your campaign right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Really. Yeah, external I mean, to you. External, external to you would be great. But it would be more interesting huh. to have, like, it would be more interesting to have you and Corey do it than the people who were involved in the campaign. Um, oh, that's interesting. But mm. then you'd have, you know, you'd need, you'd need to sit down with me and debrief, which is probably what we, you know, this is the shape of the next, of the next podcast then, right? Once I have yeah. my document, I will hand it over to you. You will then say, why did you make this decision? What were the, what, what were your options? Why didn't you choose them? To Corey's point, was it the, you know, was it the facts? We didn't have enough money. I couldn't make the other choice. The candidate wouldn't do this thing that we were asking her to do. The rest of the team was behaving this following, you know, in this way. You know, how... Would you actually be open and honest with us on, on those? Would you want to talk about that on the show? Sure, why not? That actually would be quite okay. interesting. Let's, let's do it on Patreon, though, so people have to pay for it. <laughs> so people have to pay, good. Yeah, regardless yeah. of what, what platform no, they, I mean, they, we put it on. I just I mean, think that would be a very interesting cash. exercise. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. because Corey and I were not involved in the dynamics of that race. We were not involved in, in any, let's, let's be clear, any emotional sort of connection. Neither were you uh, in that race. Um, you know, it would be quite fascinating to, to maybe have the clear-eyed perspective there. But Corey, I, I wanted to get a little bit more of your insight here on this. So you don't think that a, a a public and private version of this document would would exist, which kind of brings the question back to stated objectives, which is, you know, one could easily conclude that if this is building myth, that these are platitudes as recommendations, that this is an absolutely useless document. Would you agree? Or do you, let's going back to your stated purpose and as an internal management tool, that there's still value to something like that? I think there's immense value to something okay. like this. Oh, I, interesting. I wouldn't want to be misunderstood because it still requires engagement to occur across the board. And if people can see the commentary they had reflected, I mean, this is like engagement 101. So this is something that I've done in my life, right? Run engagements. And there's this model from the IAP2, which is mm -hmm. the International Association of like Public Participation. Um and it effectively says you've got to align what people's expectations are with the ability of feedback you provide them. You know, is it inform? Is it consult all the way through? But the expectation in a political party is that they are going to uh, be involved in this conversation. And the expectation is that the loop will be closed. And so you are, you are sort of living that expectation and meeting their expectation by going through an exercise like this. And this happens not just in political parties. This happens in organizations everywhere. Think about any organization that has a community newsletter and also mm -hmm. an interest in external media. Well, they're almost always going to have situations where there's something in the community newsletter that is not necessarily of significant external media value. And the reason is somebody wants to make sure their work is profiled. Somebody wants to make sure their work has a shot at that external, uh, you know, jam. And um, is this purpose at this point the stated purpose of getting external news? No. I mean, at this point, it's, it is an internal, you know, quote unquote management. Um, and, and people make those choices and they're not wrong choices. This mm. is the thing I want to underline. This is a conversation I've had in many other contexts in my life. 
it is a legitimate purpose to say, I want to make sure this person feels recognized. It is a legitimate purpose to say, I don't think that all parts of my organization have had like, you know, the spotlight on them recently. Just as it's a legitimate purpose to say, we want media out of this. And where organizations, including political parties, just need to be clear is they need to know what they're doing, right? There needs to be an intentionality to it. And they need to, they need to say, as they're constructing something like this, maybe not publicly, but at least as they're drafting it, all right, the purpose of this document is X. And if X in this case is making sure the party feels that there was listening and there was thought put into what was said in the four corners of the NDP, uh, and if at the end of the day when somebody got this, they would feel that, then mission accomplished. Now, if the goal was to make sure they felt heard and they read this and they say, you guys didn't listen at all, mm-hmm. mission failed. And so it's just making sure you bring that intentionality to the document as you're going. The other thing I'll say though, Zane, is well, the document might not be helpful as a debrief, the conversations probably were. It, it, as people were going around and hearing what people thought worked well and didn't work well, the stuff that didn't make it into the report, the stuff that you know you could sit and have a conversation with the other people on the drafting committee and just weigh the pros and cons of it, that was probably helpful for the people who were engaged in it. And if it was downloaded the way Stephen discussed, like talking to the leader privately or a small group around the leader after, in a way that debrief happened, it just did not happen through a print document. Carter, I hate to use the term effective because sometimes these are these are the goal here is not to be necessarily be effective. It's perhaps to be, you know, as, as wide casting as, as possible or to have redundant conversations. So to, as to know how many people believe something. But if I were having you uh, to use Boro Corey's term with the stated objective to have a true, authentic debrief to run a better campaign next time. OK, let's use that and underline that. This is for better outcomes next time. What would your debrief processes have been? And, and some of the things you could choose from is, is, is how the process would have been occurred, who you would have talked to. Corey threw in voters earlier on when we started. Would you make this public or would you leave it private? Would you go, you know, would you have the leader as part of it? Would you use external? Talk to me about some of the points you would like to stitch together if the stated objective here was to actually run a better campaign next election. Well, Corey is, uh, I, I should thank Corey. He, he, um, he really crystallized why I hate the engagement progress, process. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, 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 we, we, we were at H&K. There was an engagement piece and there was a campaigns piece. And we've, we, of course, yes. were involved in campaigns because we believe that changing people's minds and creating better outcomes was more important than talking to people in the masturbatory uh, kind of uh, methodology that Corey has just outlined. Um, and, and that's all You're this just is. called masturbatory? Is that what masturbatory. you Masturbatory. I, I okay, studied, yeah, I just want to make I sure. I studied theater Carter, in university, after, and, and we did masturbatory left, theater. After you left Hill and Dalton, yeah, yeah, I was going to tell you. You're going to tell him? Or are you going to tell him? Oh, my God, were, you should tell They him. were merged, and I was national director of the merged thing. Yeah. Of, of engagement strategies, which Carter, which basically, was... Basically goes <laughs> which to was show a strategy that you've been co-opted by the man. According to you. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think that it's... It's way more important to talk to people who know what the hell they're talking about than to talk to less engaged, less informed people. And I think <laughs> that the, the problem of engagement, and, and, and this is the problem on virtually every campaign, you, you go down from the top level professionals all the way down to the volunteers, and there are some excellent volunteers. There are some fantastic volunteers. But more often than not, we should have them door knocking or uh, manning the phones. A lot of volunteers don't understand the, the principles of politics the way that we'd want them to understand the principles of politics. Um, and as a result, 
going back and just simply going and talking to each of them, you know, every time I do a campaign debrief or every time I talk to campaigners, the first thing they say is we should really engage the youth vote. This is the campaign where we should engage the youth vote. You know how useless that is to engage the youth vote? The youth vote hasn't ever been engaged. You can go back to, you know, the the silent generation. When they were young, they weren't voting either. The, 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 this idea that we're going to somehow change human nature and make people care about something that they simply don't care about is the problem when you're talking to the less engaged audience. So I think that Corey's right. I think that you need to talk to an informed group of people. We We need to talk about voters. We need to talk to the organizers. We need to talk to the key players. And yes, that will mean that we talk to the to the riding association presidents because they are informed voters who are raising the money and therefore are vital stakeholders. Um, but you know, this this you gotta be really careful with engagement because you have to draw a line where you don't want to go below it. I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you in a second, Corey, but Carter, let me clarify a few things from you. So if you were to design your own process, would you include voters, yes or no? Yeah, I'd, well, I'd poll voters immediately. Immediately you'd afterwards. You'd them. Yeah. You'd poll voters immediately. Would you poll make your focus debrief? Group maybe? Poll and focus group. People who didn't vote NDP this time that voted NDP before. People who were did vote NDP for the first time. And maybe lifelong NDP voters. A couple of focus groups in a couple of different areas. You'd have some some specific lanes or, or qualifiers. Okay, and one, one final question. Private or public, Carter? Would this be posted somewhere or would this be internal consumption only? I have no interest in giving this to the public. Corey, to you, you talked about voters. I want to talk about the same sort of guardrails I gave Carter. What would your ideal engagement look like or ideal debrief look like if the goal is stated as to run a better campaign next time? Talk to me about voters, how you'd include them. Carter's talking about focus groups and polling. Talk to me about private or public or any other sort of rubric or or, or framework you, you, you'd, you'd want to use if, if you had control over a process. Yeah. Well, so for me, the the most obvious and the most critical is is voters. The idea that you're going to talk to people about, uh, you know, within the party about how policies landed is absurd. Talk about like the machinery, talk about the feedback, talk about the mechanisms through which the party runs its work. But at the end of the day, you are not like the average voter. You are not a swing voter. You're a card carrying member of a political party who's running a campaign or running a riding association. You are so different from what is actually the reality on the ground for most voters that your advice is not just useless, it's counterproductive. Because mm-hmm. if you follow some of the advice that's in there, I, I God help you. Like I, I, you know, there was this one article about how one of the challenges, one of the reasons why they thought that Jagmeet Singh didn't do as well as he should have was they didn't have enough independent voices verifying NDP policy commitments. That's fucking insane. That's so insane. I don't even know where to begin because most voters will stay up here. What's the commitment? Some voters will say, give me the commitment long form. Almost no voters, unless they're university professors who are, or like just the absolute diehards are going to say, okay, let me see the footnotes. Let's citation this. Let's make sure there's there. And like, look, yeah, there's absolutely communications value and validators. You want other people telling your story, but the notion that the problem is simply that, um, you know, voters needed to hear that these ideas were validated is wrong. It's just wrong. Uh, but you, if you started to take that advice, you would you would end up with incredibly dense policy commitments that do have footnotes, which I guess is kind of what the NDP ends up doing all the time. So 
It's well, hey, I guess let, we've solved part of their problem. Let there. them live their life, Corey. Let them live their life. <laughs> the voter part is the most important for this particular part of the exercise, though. I would do focus groups. I would do the accessible voters who didn't. Like, okay, we thought you were open to us. You even state that you're open to us, but you didn't. Mm -hmm. Why not? That'd be the most important. You look at those next concentric circles, the ones who have you know, characteristics similar to accessible voters, but have to sort of state that they're not. Well, okay, why not? And, and maybe probably not go any further than that because I don't really care about the people who are outside of that. And I don't really care about the people who are always with me. It is always about the accessible voter universe. And um, from there, after those focus groups, I would try to get some conclusions that I could then poll on. So I'm getting a small group to sort of lead me into the construction of questions that I would then get a broader audience to validate. And that's the general approach I would take um, in trying to get voter feedback and voter opinions here, which are the most crucial in a game that is all about, do the voters support you? And and like mm. that, that, that is missing tells us this is not a sincere debrief exercise. Carter, last sort of round of questioning on this that I wanted to start with you on, which is if you were in the NDP, let's say you were the NDP Campaign strategist, you're hired today, hired yeah. yesterday. I'll get 15th, fired tomorrow. Right? Well, yeah. they just saw all of no. your success yesterday. Yeah. They saw yeah. that. You know, they're like, we see something here. Um, yeah. They give you these twenty pages. Broadest Why? question: How are you molding this in terms of the next campaign? Because there is an element to what Corey says around some people needing to be heard. There's, of course, the other side of it. To your point, the effectiveness and the raw. Who gives a shit? Let's just win. How are you taking something like this and implementing it? That's what I find really fascinating. And the answer could be as simple as I'm not. But, but yeah. how would you kind of look at what you see here around the nine recommendations that they that they have uh, as their principal sort of like outline of, you know, here's what we need to do. Adopt a regional model, maintain a permanent campaign, maintain year round, you know, data program, be bold in communicating, diversity of thought. It's just so expand the leaders like, tour. I, I'm, I, how how I are they not doing this already? <laughs> But, but so what? What, what are you? How are you kind of taking this? If you were leading this campaign, well, how? What are you doing with something like this? I, I'm trying to give insight to folks that are listening, saying, "Okay, this is a document. What does a party do with the document as such?" Everybody sometimes needs to prop up their bookshelf so that it doesn't fall over forward. And sometimes what you do is you put a document underneath the front of it so it kind of leans back a little bit. That's what I would do with this with this piece because this piece <laughs> this piece offers nothing about trade offs. Right, and, and I hate to do this, but it doesn't I'm say do less to anything. It doesn't I, I, say do this less so you can do this more. Corey, yeah, Corey that, makes a great point. Like, okay, we're going to do more leaders tour. You know how much? Like, you know how expensive leaders tour is? It's one of it is the largest besides yeah. did, you know advertising. It's the largest expenditure on the docket. It's super no problem, hard Stephen. To do. We'll just do more fundraising to pay for more leaders. Oh, tour. because we weren't problem maximizing solved. our fundraising because uh, because we're idiots apparently. Um, well, we'll just no. We'll so do much it year more round. money there, and we just chose not to do it because you know why would we? Um, the the trade-off is everything, and and because this document doesn't have trade-offs, it makes it uh, essentially useless. And you know that's where you really need to get to. Now, I'm sure that someone has these trade-offs, and and I would probably sit down with the people who created this document. Yeah, and I would probably ask them, okay. So what were the trade-offs that, that forced these decisions in the first place? You know, why, you know, yeah. why did we think that having Jagmeet Singh, I mean, I think that we talked about his social media presence on the, uh, on mm -hmm. the pod a number of times. And I think that we, oh, yeah. we reached the conclusion that maybe this wasn't helping him in terms of his appearing to be like a serious leader. Um, but 
you know, why did we choose to go that way? Were we trying to save some money? Were we, were we trying to reach a youth audience, which is pointless? Like, what was the decision tree that put us in that space? And how would we rework that decision tree now that we've got better information? Corey, if you were molding this into something usable, tangible um, for the next campaign, what would you do with it? Well, the one advantage it has, if you are, say, just hired by the NDP to then create the strategy for the next campaign, including some of the allocation decisions that Stephen articulated. And and I mean, I agree. Like, like this is just a list everything, you know, no consideration of kind of drawbacks and consequences there. It's kind of this, actually, it's very similar to kind of that classic conservative critique that government just needs to be more efficient. Just be more yes. efficient. Yeah. You know, all you need is more efficiency. You get the right efficiency in there and you can do all of the things, right? But there are limits to that kind of thinking and political parties hit them very, very quickly. But if you are given a document like this and say you're mm-hmm. the new campaign director of the NDP, the one thing it does have going for it is it does literally say everything. So it's not going to necessarily dictate your activities, but you can you license <laughs> eight yeah. things you want to do in here and just do them and say they came out of the recommendations, right? <laughs> why are you doing this? Well, they were in the recommendations. Well, why aren't you doing the other things? Well, we're getting to them, but we're doing these ones first from the recommendations. Yeah. And so it, it does give you a certain license to make some changes. Um, they, they had some conversations about like centralizing EDA activities. I actually think in this entire document, that was probably the one thing that probably had value because they snuck it into a 20 page report and they basically were hinting at centralizing further, um, you know, local constituency association functions, which, you know, a central campaign has interest in a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, so you point to that and say, well, that was a recommendation. Why am I taking away your local autonomy? It was a recommendation out of the debrief. <laughs> right. I'm right, new right. here. My hands are tied. You guys are the ones who wrote the debrief. And so that's the value I think it has. <laughs> that was good. I like that. <laughs> Nicely done. We're going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our final segment, our over under and our lightning round. Stephen Ooh. Carter, uh, if the world revolves around you, uh, it's because of this show, Stephen Carter, overrated or <laughs> underrated campaign debriefs. Um, I think they're underrated when they're done properly. Hmm. I think that uh, understanding what you did right and what you did wrong is is the core function of professionalism. And you don't grow without understanding those pieces. I think that the central critique that both Corey and I have made about this particular piece is that this doesn't necessarily achieve that end. Corey, campaign debriefs, overrated, underrated? Uh, underrated. They don't have to take the form of a public document like this. It can take a form of a series of conversations. Obviously, there's limits to how much you're going to remember. But I also think they're probably a little bit underrated in even the internal management sense. And if they're done well, and if they're done considering themselves as internal management documents, they allow you to mend some fences after election too, bring some people out of the woodwork and bring them back into the tent. And um, ultimately, the biggest problem they have is that that the people who write them sometimes seem to be confused as to what they're writing. Is it internal management or is it a true debrief? Corey, I'm going to start this next question with you. In fact, this, this next question could, could necessitate its own deep dive podcast, probably authored by Carter to start with, but I'm going to start it. Corey overrated or underrated municipal political parties. So we had Carter working for for one. We had Ken Sim, who is the new mayor of Vancouver, which we haven't talked about, by the way, defeating an incumbent in Kennedy Stewart. 
his party, the ABC party, Carter, I'll get to you in a second here, if I'm not mistaken, brand new party, sweeps mm-hmm. the entire Vancouver election, including the, the mayor's chair. Corey, political parties in municipal politics, overrated or, or underrated? Underrated. I, I We oh. live in Alberta, where there are not really political parties in Calgary or Edmonton, two pretty big cities. When you think about Vancouver, like Vancouver proper is much smaller than Calgary proper. It is. Because yeah, it's just yeah, not yeah. the kind of metro area. Um, and we don't have political parties. And in some ways that baffles me because we ultimately have councils which sort of beg for parliamentary government, right? The idea mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you say, because the mayor is just one council vote. But if you if you could get a block that would represent the majority of council and that block held together like a political party did, you could you could really change things more dramatically than than occur right now. And when I look at other cities where there are stronger party models and there's varying degrees uh, of, you know, the party whip and all of them, I see our future. I, I see this as an inevitability because you can share resources, you can share volunteers and um, and by sharing a cause, you can just get a lot more done. Carter, you've got some lived experience in this. You've you've now seen behind a political party on a municipal level. You've also seen the power of perhaps a political party with the Ken Sim example sweeping a, an entire slate. But having this experience, uh, and then also academically and strategically, Carter, municipal political parties overrated or underrated in your mind? Underrated. When um, we can look at all kinds of different examples, Ken Bosenkul and I actually wrote an article because, you know, as you know. He's the full package, and uh, <laughs> when we when we created the the article, um, it was designed to be like, how can these two people agree on anything? And the reason we agreed on it, as is in because, you two, just to be clear, yeah, the two of you, I remember, yeah, that yeah. was around twenty fifteen or so. Yeah, I thought. well, right. it was earlier than well, that. It was after the second Denshi election, I think. But the <laughs> the reasoning and the rationale is: look at what's happened with Gondek. Gondek is was the top of the ticket, right? The mayor's office, the mayor's race, is what everybody's voting on. And people are really choosing their councillor candidates kind of on secondary information. And it's it, then the mayor gets elected, and the mayor not, does not necessarily have a council that wishes to go with her or with him. Then she ran into the exact same problem on issues like secondary suites, which have 70, 70th percentile style of approvals. So yeah. having a political party enables the council and the mayor to reflect the actual desires of the uh, the electorate, where, you know, and on top of that, it enables you to get rid of the power of the slate, enables you to get rid of some of the, the weaker performers. Uh, and I can think of a few uh, right off the top of my head, like Sean Chu, um, you know, that, that shouldn't have been even enabled to run um, and wasn't enabled to run in, in other, you know, uh, party type situations uh, when he put his name forward. So this is a, you know, the party gives you more credible credibility it gives you better uh candidates and it it gives you a better proposal for the uh for the actual voters and i i just can't believe that um you know we tried to start something like it with that with with joti um we made the pitch to uh to, to nenshi that he should have done it nenshi's famous words to me were i can work with anybody and that year he had uh john chu elected well Good luck working with Sean. Um, you know, like it's like working with a uh, with a stick, not even a sharp stick. Jesus, <laughs> I mean, if anyone deserves criticism, but Jesus. What, was it, what did I say that was incorrect? Nothing. You know, okay. 
Uh, this is why I think this necessitates a deep dive, because wasn't it a couple episodes ago that we talked about the um, the trials and tribulations and opportunity for upstarting a political party, right, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken? What's mm-hmm. interesting about this on the municipal side, Carter, this ABC party, out of nowhere, it's 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 almost like these parties have been started out of, out of thin air because they're maybe not exactly political parties. They're just kind of brand templates. Talk to me about your experience with kind of Surrey Forward. Is that a new brand there in, in a sense? and? How it was slapped together. I shouldn't say slapped together. That, that sounds so disparaging, and it's not meant to be. But it's almost a compliment in the sense that they're they're so they're upstarts in many ways that can kind of become incumbents very quickly, uh, as we're seeing in Vancouver. C- civic brands are so much more fluid, and then from those civic yeah. brands can come provincial brands and other other political power. So we had Vision Vancouver. You know, Gregor Robertson was the. Uh, the mayor of Vancouver for years un- under the vision template. There is no vision Vancouver anymore. NPA, like a year years ago, the nonpartisan, um, I can't remember what the Alliance. Alliance. Alliance, I believe. They were, yeah. they were the, 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 the power in, in Vancouver politics. And now ABC kind of comes out of that, out of the NPA yeah. dysfunction. Because um, it didn't just appear. It, it appeared because of a weakness in the market, right? When the market doesn't like the choices that are available, the market shifts to new choices and the mar- the political marketplace is shifting away from like even Surrey Connect, the one that won here in Surrey was a new mm-hmm. brand this time, right? Mm. Um, Safe Surrey Coalition was a new brand the time before that. Um, one of the, the hypotheses we have about the guy who came third was he was running on the old Surrey first brand, which was three and four elections ago. Um, it had its own strength. So these brands do shape and shift according to what um, voter expectations are. And ironically, both, both uh, you know, the Ginny Sims with Surrey Forward and um, uh, Kennedy Stewart both ran with forward branding. So Kennedy Stewart was forward with Kennedy Stewart or something like that. It was kind of stupid. Yeah. Um, and ours was Surrey Forward. But you know, like it didn't offer any particular brand position. Well, neither does Surrey Connect and neither does ABC. But the, you know, I just think it's fascinating. I love the the idea of local brands, and I would be up for making a local uh, a local slate or party um, in Calgary and or Edmonton for the next uh, municipal election for sure. That's what needs to happen. Corey, I'm a final question. I'm going to start with you. Overrated or underrated? The I shouldn't even call it opposition research. The posts that we are now seeing revealed from Danielle Smith's um, subscription-only social media service, I believe Locals.com, where she's done live streams, she's done posts, um, and has many comments on uh, the unvaccinated, on the 2020 U.S. elections, on residential schools, um, on Ukraine and Russia. Some of them parroting or bordering conspiracy theory, others being um, perhaps quite alarming, overrated or underrated this, I shouldn't call it treasure trove, but this this database of of material that really illustrates Daniel Smith's views. What, what do you kind of think in terms of its political usefulness and, and efficacy, overrated or underrated? Uh, I think it's underrated, but if people aren't careful on the NDP side, it could very quickly become overrated. So there's a line that needs to be worked here, but let's start here. So we were on the Ryan Jesperson show on Friday and Ryan brought up this local stuff. And he's like, see what she's posting here about like world war two and comparing it to Nazis, you know, like the idea of being vaccinated. That's 
this is Ryan. I'm paraphrasing here. That's pretty crazy. I can't believe this isn't yeah, more of a yeah, conversation. Yeah. Well, fast forward six hours and it was like all of a yeah. sudden, you know, um, people Justin are Ling and others. This. Yeah. Justin yeah. Ling has uh, written this article about how he subscribed to it and he saw all of these things. And he brought forward a couple, including one where Danielle Smith was, you know, seemed pretty receptive to the idea that Russia should be allowed to invade part of Ukraine or like this was a you know more complicated issue. Many lines that you would hear from people on the pro-Russia side, you got to you got to give a kind of a little bit of latitude in, in kind of the early days, the fog of war. The number of people I heard make all sorts of claims because we were just tuning into this thing for the first time and we were all sort of grounding ourselves in mm-hmm, what was going mm-hmm. on. But I want to make a broader point here, which is that Danielle Smith presents a unique opportunity uh, for her opponents in that she is written, she is on, she's on record for decades, taking positions that were kind of outside of the mainstream in the 90s and have fallen so far out of the nine or out of the mainstream that that I think it you know it, it causes serious alarm uh, for some of the people in her orbit here, and I think her caucus is going to be. A little bit concerned with how she's going to manage these things as they come forward and you know some of them are big some of them are small i saw one i can't remember who shared it on twitter i think it was like an education group or an educator mm-hmm. where danielle smith in the 90s was opining students don't need computers like <laughs> almost like what do these computers have to do with education right as a headline well that's pretty funny it reminds me of sort of like the Newsweek, like the internet's never going to replace a library the internet's never going to replace you know, an encyclopedia, the internet's never going to replace, you name it. It was just like a list of things the internet has 100% replaced. She has so much in her background that people are going to be able to assemble all sorts of attacks. Because the other thing, and we've talked about on this show, even using ourselves as an example, when you're a pundit, sometimes you just say shit. And (laughs) Carter and I have been guilty of this, where we've talked about this off the air, but like, we don't feel that strongly about it one way or the other, but Steven says one thing. So I'll say the opposite, right? Yeah. Or he'll do the exact same to me um, because, it, you know, it's not even just about the show. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to argue with your friends, right? Yeah. And, and take a piss out of them. And when you've got that deadline and you must publish all of the time, you're going to publish some garbage and you're going to publish some stuff that does not age very well. And uh, And so now if you're the NDP in Alberta, your challenge is, You've got to put this all into a coherent attack that doesn't just seem like you're throwing everything at it. Yeah. Carter, overrated, underrated. The discovery of Danielle Smith on the subscription-only social media, the, the the material there. Overrated, underrated for political use. Underrated. I agree with everything Corey said, but I'm going to add one other thing. Where the hell were the opposite? Were the six other candidates that ran against Danielle Smith in a leadership that just concluded? How on earth did... Um, did Travis Daves not bring up or did not find this, this locals thing? Like, was he completely out of like, did they not even look at what Danielle Smith had done? She, she yeah. didn't, she faced virtually no opposition. Can I say, Stephen, you uh, jump in, I, I, jump I'm in, not Corey, and I've got a thesis. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to throw out, like, I got to say, I was just talking about like this unique experience she provides with decades of, of comments that are a little bit outside of the mainstream. Yeah. These were really recent. Really? Like, these recent. were in the last couple of years. And the fact that her uh, her opponents in the UCP either A, didn't find it or B, didn't feel they could use it tells us a lot about either her opponents or the UCP or both. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was it was it's pretty in, unreal to me that nobody yeah. 
found these uh, Ukraine posts, given their relatively public nature. So yeah, this could be a whole episode as well. Can we spend a couple minutes on this? Sure, what, and we're I just the, want to focus very quickly. Fast yeah, round, like, right? for, the, like for the yeah, it's right. <laughs> okay. What if it was column B, Carter? What if it was column B? They knew about it and they couldn't use it. That that is my hypothesis. I have no inside information. But the fact that this was largely public, that she mentioned, you know, for a while, she's like, I'm leaving Twitter. I'm leaving my talk show. I'm going to locals.com. I think we all knew about this. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like mystery. It wasn't like a mystery that she had this 12,000 person subscription service. What would it, what, what is the, the analysis you come to should, this is hypothetical on top of a hypothetical, should this have been something that they knew about, but just didn't use? What, what do you think that says about her and the party? It can't be. It can't be. I mean, they you went, don't think that's possible. Eh? I don't. Okay. I mean, it, 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 you're you, refusing you, to believe it, or you're saying, walk me through why it can't be. Actually, let me ask you that. Because you, it's too stupid. I mean, they're stupid to begin with. <laughs> well, no, I mean, okay. we, we have it. Just can't be. They just can't be that dumb. They went after her for other things. How do you not go after them for the Ukraine war when you are from North? Um, northern Alberta, where there's we're from Alberta, a, yeah, yeah, know, a huge population of 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 Ukrainian Canadians that that still feel their homeland in, in a visceral way. How how on earth do you not use that? I just don't understand. I don't understand that. That's just impossible you, for me to believe. Are you with Carter Corey that it's impossible that they held it back if they had it? I I am for. Okay. I think some of the same reason. I listen. I, I I'm going to take a little bit different tack on it. I I think if they knew about it, he's right. And and what our listeners outside of Alberta need to understand is that Alberta basically has the largest population of Ukrainians outside of Ukraine. You know, I yes, mean, it's sig- yeah. very significant. Yeah, in yeah. Man- Manitoba has a higher percent, but Alberta has like higher numbers. I think Ontario might kind of you know it's just right there with Ontario because there's like more people in Ontario, but huge Ukrainian population in um, in, in Alberta, in Canada in general, in Alberta, um, you think about our deputy prime minister from Northern Alberta, mm-hmm. Ukrainian descent. That's, that's not like a wacky coincidence there. We had a premier, Ed Stelmack, who did not speak English until he went to school. He was born in Alberta, but he spoke Ukrainian. I may have found yeah, that out yeah. the hard way one time. Yeah, you did, buddy. <laughs> that's a story for another day too. <laughs> um, so even if you are thinking, okay, so I guess I would say like, as much as you might be looking at threads of conservatism globally and thinking like, well, maybe this is something that there's an appetite for. Yeah. And this wouldn't be effective, so to speak. Yeah. In Alberta, that math is different. Yeah. And um, even if you did have some sort of squeamishness about bringing it forward, you didn't want to look like the person attacking Danielle Smith, then why not drop it to the media? Just, why not release you know, it yeah. in any other fashion to get it out there and having people looking at it? So I actually think in in some wild way, I can't, you know, the opponents kind of dropped the ball. They didn't find this stuff or when they read it, they just sort of their radar didn't go off the way it should have gone off. And maybe we shouldn't give Alberta's media a pass either. Like, like you said, Zane, we all knew that she was on locals. Hell, we shouldn't give ourselves a pass. Ourselves, ourselves included. We yeah, knew yeah. she was on there. And, uh, you know, nobody nobody seemed to read it or, re- or register it at the very least. In fairness, we don't like listening to other people's shit. So that's true. You know, that's probably we don't why let any, we don't <laughs> yeah. let anyone influence anything here. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1008 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Belger with me as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, and we will see you next time.